I was preaching in about uh, in India in '93, my first trip to uh, to that country. I was up on stage, maybe a little higher than that. I'd never spoken with an interpreter before. Man, I was trying to get into it, and I fell off the stage. <laughs> I had one of these on, and so I went to my knees, and I kind of get back up, and I had to go around. And Brother Ratnam, who was one of the government officials, a Christian there, he said, Brother, did you mean to do that? I said, no, I like broke a leg doing that. But it's my pleasure to be here with you. It's the first time I've ever been to Bobby's Branch and heard a lot about it through the years, and I'm just, <clears throat> I'm encouraged. I really am, uh, my wife and I, we get an opportunity to go to about 50 congregations every year. Uh, we usually go do presentations in India work, then holding meetings and doing just a few seminars. She speaks on Ladies' Day, and we do a, what we call a family home improvement. And uh, I, I tell you, I believe that's needed in the Lord's Church today, home improvement. I'm going to talk to you today about something that you think, why in the world is he talking about that? I am convinced in a lot of places I go that if we could get this right, what I'm talking about today, our attendance would improve, our uh, enthusiasm would increase, and that's happiness. Happiness. A fellow told me one time, he said, uh, uh, he was preaching away, and he said he looked at the congregation, he said they act like they'd uh, swallowed a dill pickle. He said, maybe a whole jar of it. And so life is precious. It's so important to be a child of God and to enjoy life. I want you to notice what I called uh, keys to happiness. There are some principles here. You ever notice when your cup gets full of happiness that someone wants to jog your elbow? Man, we live in a world when they're looking for happiness in the wrong places. And when we start looking for happiness in success, not just happiness, but success in life, uh, they think we're crazy. And some of us may be, but they think we're crazy because we're seeking happiness in spiritual things. Someone interviewed Elvis Presley one time, and uh, they asked him, said, Elvis said, uh, you said when you first started in your career that you wanted to be happy, that you wanted to be successful, and one of the most well-known or popular person uh, in the world. And someone asked him that, and he said, I'm right before his death, I am as lonely as being in hell. That's sad, isn't it? Elvis Presley could have had such an impact on people's lives, just more than music. I was back in the jungles of India, and I had an interpreter with me. We went in there, and, and uh, most of them didn't have electricity. But lo and behold, a man came up to me, and he said, Do you know Elvis Presley? And I said, Well, I've heard of him. He said, you've never met him? You know, and I told that fellow with me, I said, how in the world did he know about Elvis Presley and no electricity? I reckon everyone in the world knew about Elvis Presley. Elvis looked to the wrong place for happiness and success. So I'm going to give you some principles today. And these principles are what I call uh, that if we apply them to our lives, you would see a major increase in a lot of things. Number one, I want you to notice that it is scriptural to be happy. Peter said in 1 Peter 3, beginning with verse 10, The eyes of the Lord are open to the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. But His face is against those that do evil. Now, that's verse 12. You go on up, watch this. He that would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips speak no guile. Let him eschew evil. Let him run away from evil. 
and ensue, or in, uh, one translation says, let him seek peace. Now, it is scriptural for us to be happy in the Lord. Philippians 4.4, 4, to rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. In the book of Philippians, only four chapters, it's amazing, amazing book. How many, or amazing how many times the word joy or rejoice is found in that wonderful book. God intended for us to be happy. Someone says we have a choice, and you do have a choice. Aren't you glad you're not a robot? Aren't you glad that God chose you to be a free moral agent, that you have the ability to make a decision each day? This idea of predestination, and they say it's based in Ephesians chapter 1, that God's determined whether you're saved or lost, and you can't do anything about it. That predestination there is that God has predestined God's people, good people, godly people, to be in heaven. God should already determine that. Now, watch this. I choose to feel blessed. I choose to be grateful. I choose to be excited. I choose to be thankful, or I choose to be happy. Every one of us make that decision every day in our lives. It's your choice. You can be miserable. You can be an ingrate. You can feel like that uh, everything around you is just caving in. Or you can choose to be a happy person. Notice, number one, here are some principles that we want to live by. Number one, live one day at a time. You know what? uh, This idea of, of living one day at a time, I'm always reminded of this. Most people relive yesterday. They worry about tomorrow and they waste today. That's the way most people live. Have you ever relived yesterday when in the 70s I had a Mustang Mach 1? I had a Camaro, and I have said numerous times, I'd give anything in the world to have those vehicles back. Man, I'd be a fancy person today. My wife said, quit reliving yesterday. You preach that all the time. Live today. Enjoy today. This is the day the Lord hath made. Let us be miserable. Wait, I got that wrong. Rejoice in the Lord. Be happy. This is the day the Lord hath made. Let us be happy. Let us rejoice in it. Philippians, or, uh, Psalm 118, verse 24. Live one day at a time. Are you living one day at a time? Are you so worried about uh, what's going to happen tomorrow? I used to know this guy. I grew up with him. If gas prices was a dollar, was a dollar, he'd worry about them going up. If they were three dollars, he said, "Ah, they're going up." What difference does it make about you? Got to have it. Just buy it. And quit worrying about it. Live one day at a time. Notice this: the good old days. You know, you can't move forward because we're stuck in the past. Oh, how true that is. Even in the church, some folks, uh, you ever heard someone say that? Boy, I wish, and I do too, go back in the 50s and 60s where we, we were the fastest growing religion. Hey, you ever heard this? Boy, I wish we had preachers like Marshall Keeble or, or H. Leo Bowles. And I do too. But friends, we don't live in those, that era. We're living now. We're living now. One of the best sermons I ever heard, PTP, and it was by Derryberry. The very black preacher, man, could he preach. You know what the title of that sermon was? It's Your Day in History. I love that sermon. I've got it, and I listen to it quite often. 
when I think I'm feeling sorry for myself and I've got some burdens and problems. Let me tell you something. You listen to that sermon. It is your day in history. You can't change yesterday. You may not have tomorrow. And if you want to be happy, successful, and you want to do uh, what you ought to do in this life, just learn. I put this up there. I kind of like that. It says, don't let past pain rob you of your present happiness. Isn't that good? Don't let past pain. I did this lesson, I think it was about eight or ten years ago in Alabama where I was holding a meeting. A lady came up to me and she said, you're talking about happiness. She said, you've never met Uncle Arthur, have you? I said, Uncle Arthur? She meant arthritis. Well, I've met him. I can still be happy. I can still rejoice. I can still be successful. Number two, count your blessings, not your burdens. What do we usually de deal with? Our burdens. You know what James 1.17 says? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, of whom there is no bearableness, nor shadow of turning. Someone said one time, what if God blessed you as much as you were thankful for the blessings? Count your blessings. Name them one by one. We sing that song. Do we sing that with the spirit and understanding? As Paul said, directed in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemy, enemies. Thou anointest my uh, head with oil. My cup runneth over. We know uh, Psalm 23, verse 1, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We ought to know verses 5 and 6. Someone said, I'm drinking from the saucer because my cup is overflowing. I tell this story, and if my wife was here, she'd probably be nodding her head. For years and years and years, she'd plant, out, uh, plant a flower, and I'd uh, weed it down. I didn't know a flower from a weed. She'd take me over there, and she said, this is a flower. I don't do that anymore. As I get older, I, I appreciate the flowers. I think maybe there are some things in life that we have to grow to learn and appreciate. The beautiful mountains. Brother Ratner came over here and uh, we were going up to East Tennessee to do a presentation. He looked at those mountains and he said, Brother, did you know that you are blessed? We take it for granted, don't we? I'm going to tell you something. We are a blessed people. And I believe that more we thank God for what we have, more uh, God will bless us. If we complain and murmur, I believe God is uh, unhappy with that. Number three, be an optimist. Refuse to be a pessimist. Are you one of those people that absolutely folks don't want to be around you? Is your cup half full or half, half empty? Is it partly sunny or partly cloudy in your world? Be an optimist. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 I've always wondered when I, I loved Johnny Bench and Pete Rose back in those days. I, I like baseball. Don't even watch it now, but I liked it back then. And I can remember Davy Concepcion played for the Cincinnati Reds, and there underneath the bill of his hat, it showed it on national tel, uh, 
national TV. He said, I can do all things which through Christ will strengthen me. And when he would get up the bat, he would do one of these things. And I told a guy one time, okay, I don't know exactly what that means, but maybe he's doing this to pray that he might hit the ball. Then the pitcher's over there doing this. Well, God's in a dilemma, isn't he? Is he going to strike him out, or is he going to hit a home run, or what's he going to do? Let me tell you something, friends. When you learn to be an optimist and not a pessimist, you learn to depend upon God. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let let me share a couple of things with you. Back in 1984, we got through school. I had uh, born and raised in Monterey, went off to... uh, Nashville School of Preaching, and I went through David Lipscomb back when David Lipscomb was David Lipscomb, and uh, took a lot of classes, and Tom Holland said, uh, Jack, i got a good word for you, okay? It's in Cordell, Georgia, 366 miles from my house. We rented a U-Haul, loaded up my family and uh, my two children, and we headed, and I was on fire. I was excited. We got into that little community, and they had a preacher's house there, and I'd go back and forth, and we started evangelizing, and the next thing you know, we went from 30 to 70. And then we converted a denominational lady, and she said, what can I do to help this church? I said, man, we got everything paid for. I, I don't know. She said, what do you need? I said, we need a church van. Pick up some, some, some kids. Pick up some folks. Well, we, we bought a, a used van. And you know, we started growing, and we needed classrooms, so we bought a modular home. No one else knew this, but I was in a men's business meeting, the second business meeting that I'd ever been uh, in uh, in that place. And I heard one guy, he said, if you say that again, I'm going to take this chair and wrap it around your head. I went home crying and said, I ought to have gone a different direction. Here was a church that was growing. Here was a church that was on fire in that community. We were making a difference. But because some folks were so pessimistic about the past, we've tried that, that won't work. And I'm telling you something, brethren, in a lot of business meetings, the first one that speaks, you can tell the direction of that meeting. I don't want to be a pessimist. And I know that everything that you can't just say, everything is good, and I, I understand all that. But in view of that, shouldn't we be an optimist? Shouldn't we be positive in our thinking? Not only that, I'm going to have to hurry. I like this one that I borrowed from someone, maybe Facebook. It says at the bottom, you may be given a cactus, but you don't have to sit on it. And I said this before, some people can't enjoy the rose because of the thorn. Brethren, we can decide whether we want to be an optimist or a pessimist. Even in the family, in the home. Sometimes people want to be optimists and they want to be very positive. The mate chooses to be a pessimist and dwells on everything negative. I can remember many years ago, and I made a mistake. I was up preaching and, or maybe teaching class and I talked about grandma. And I said, Grandma could make the best fried potatoes I've ever eaten. Man, they were dark brown, crunchy. She knew how I liked them. I was just a little boy, and she'd make them just for me. An old lady came up to me, and she said, Young man, you better learn something. 
I said, what's that? You could hurt your wife's feelings. You said your grandma was the best cook. I don't use that story anymore. But I was trying to be optimistic. I was trying to be positive because I like fried potatoes. But sometimes that's the way we look. We try to be positive in one area and we can cause other people to be very pessimistic. Not only that, I want you to look at some more. I'm going to have to hurry. Fill your life with good things. What do you fill your mind with? Brethren, we live in a culture when this filth on TV, the lyrics, have you ever heard some of the lyrics? I was a probation officer at Juvenile in Cookville uh, for about eight years. My job was to go and monitor some children, some young men, 16 to 18 years old. I'd go to school. I would have to give them a drug test. We were the last program that was available before they went into state custody. I'd have to go into their room. I went into this one boy's room. Well, first of all, I told the mother, I said, I've got to go into his room. Good luck. I hadn't been in there in eight years. Problem with that. So I go into his room, and he's got all kinds of Iron Maiden flags, and he's got, I go through his CDs and uh, whatever they were back in those days, and uh, some of this music today, I can't even understand it. You, you probably don't want to. The filth, the computer. You know how, how readily available this filth is on the computer? You can do a word su- uh, search or Google something and there'll be something pop up there. You know what, why they do that? They're wanting you to go in their direction. It's It's difficult. It's hard to, hard to live in our culture. Is it impossible? Of course not. But I'm telling you right now, we need to fill our life with good things. I like what Paul said to the Philippians, brethren. He said in Philippians 4, 8 and 9, Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, if there be any virtue in these things, you know what he said? Think on these things. Can I give you a challenge? Every morning when you get up, two things to do. And I don't, it doesn't matter what order you do. Take this Bible and read at least one chapter. I challenge you to read five chapters. But I, I understand if you've got young children, you've got to get them ready and send them off to school, and you've got to go to, I understand all that. But by the way, and I'm old school, and he gets me in trouble, but I'm still old school. If a mother working outside the home can't fulfill her responsibilities in the home, then she needs to be in the home. Maybe you can do both. Maybe you're superwoman, but boy, it's tough, isn't it? It's hard. But let me tell you something, friends, and this is the fact of the matter. As I grow old or older, you wouldn't think I'm 41, would you? Because I'm not, but I'm 59. And you talk about some changes that I, I have seen in our, even in our congregations. Can, can you believe the way people dress today? It, it is, even in our services. Not even, it, it's, it's bad to even wear it to a ball game. It is amazing. Now, someone's going to say, get mad at me, so you saying we ought to have a dress code and you have to have a suit? No, no, no. But you ought to wear your best. I'm not going to tell you where it's at, but I completed a gospel meeting, had a great meeting. Seven men one night. I'm not, I'm not talking about children. I'm talking about men. They came in 
with shorts on. One man got up and led a prayer wearing shorts on. That wouldn't have happened 25, 30 years ago in our brotherhood. You see, sometimes, instead of filling our minds with good things, we have become too casual. We have become relaxed. Instead of reading this book every day and trying to emulate what this book says. And number two, praying. You know, it's not, a, it's not enough just to read the book. There has to be application. You ever pray, God, help me to be a better person? God, I, I want to be a better mother. I want to be a better daddy. <clears throat> I have two children. I don't look that old, but seven grandchildren, as brother said. Uh, <clears throat> my daughter's married to a preacher. My daughter, I didn't have to spank her much. I got a boy who served as a deacon for several years. He just moved away and left our congregation uh, to Clarksville. I had to whip my boy quite often. I whipped him sometimes, and I'd jump to conclusions, and I'd whip him, and I shouldn't whip him. But I'd tell him jokingly, well, that's for one I missed. But I whipped him when he was 18. I, I was preaching at Will Ed. I was right across the preacher's house, and I told him, I said, I'm trying to be the right kind of daddy for you. And I said, 18, I said, I'm going to whip you because you wouldn't clean your room. You won't do what Mama says to do. Now, you can't hurt an 18-year-old. I tried to, but I couldn't. He goes and tells one of our elders. One of our elders said, that's nothing. I whipped my boy and he's 21. He said, wow, I've got 20, uh, three more years of this. But I say all of that because, brethren, if we can fill our life with good things instead of allowing our culture to dictate what we're going to put into our minds, I believe we'd be better people. I believe we'd be happy. Uh, <clears throat> keep your priorities in the right order. Did you say I, at 12 is when I get through or 12.30? I told him, man, I said, well, I'll just cut off the lights and lock the door and I leave. Priority. Boy, this is hard for me, isn't it, you? I'm reminded of what our Lord said, though. Seek ye first. I, I, if I'd written that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put that first in there. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. You know, when I was first converted from denominationalism, you know what I thought the most difficult verses in the Bible were? I just really struggled with baptism. I really did. I said, if baptism is a command, why didn't the Lord say it? Well, he did say it many times, Mark 16, 16. And I used to say, you know, the most difficult verses in the Bible to really obey and, and to really understand is Matthew 26, 26 through 28, where the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper. Man, I thought that was hard, difficult. You know what I think the most difficult Scripture in all the Bible is today, Matthew 6, 33. Get your, get your priorities in order. I like what Tom Landry said. Tom Landry was the coach of the Dallas Cowboys, one of the most successful coaches ever lived. You know what uh, Landry said when he was interviewed about his success? What would you say, what would you contribute your success to? And I like it. He said, number one, God. Number two, family. And number three, football. Pretty good, isn't it? Most difficult thing is to get God first in our lives. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 39, the Lord was asked, What is the greatest commandment? Do you understand back uh, 
in the days of the rabbi, they had the law, the Decalogue. They had it where the greatest commandment is this one, the second greatest one is this one. They had it all figured out. You know what the Lord said? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul. One translation says, with all thy strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second one is likely to it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. Brethren, when our faith is based upon our love for God, our allegiance to God, our loyalty to God, He becomes number one in our lives. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir. When I hold a gospel meeting, I challenge people in Sunday school, which probably should have already done this, invite five people in the afternoon to come to our gospel meeting. Why? It's important to you. And I even say to the congregation, I said, Will we have more visitors this week than we have our own members? It saddens me, doesn't you? When we allow ball games, when we allow uh, sports, when we allow uh, whatever. I, I held a meeting at Will Avenue, and one of the elders came up to me this a few years ago. He said, Jack, I've got to tell you right now, he said, uh, we've got a school board member, a uh, school board meeting, we've got Boy Scouts. When he started naming off, and I said, sound like to me, y'all are too busy to have a meeting. That's sad, brethren. You know why? Because we're not getting our priorities in order. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 said, if you've been risen with Christ, seek those things above. And not on things of this earth. Set your affections upon things above. Get your priorities in order. I like that. Let me just give you an example. It's a story that I'm told was a true story. Tom Courtney, who was an, uh, a runner, he grew up in life with a handicap. One of his legs shorter than the other. And as he grew up, he had a dream. He told everybody about his dream. He said he wanted to win a marathon. Run a marathon and win it. You can't do it, Tom. You just can't do it. Don't you realize you got a handicap? Everyone discouraged him. And he said, my number one priority in this life is to uh, run and win a marathon. Sure enough, he equipped himself physically. He got on a special diet. He got the doctors to make him a special shoe. And every day you could see Tom Courtney just run, 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 run. Reminds me of that movie. What's that movie where that guy's running all the time? That's my dad. Uh, whatever it is. I didn't watch it but once, and that was enough for me. But anyway, uh, Tom Courtney said, I, w- I want to run. I want to run. You know the day of the race, Tom Courtney, because that was number one with him, number one priority was to, to run the race and to win the race. He had quipped himself, and he started running and running. He was way ahead of everyone else. He could look back and way Behind him, over the horizon, was the next runner. Tom Courtney was feeling good about himself. But then, 25-mile marker, Tom Courtney, dehydrated, weak, vision a little blurry, and he goes down. And he looked back, and he could see that runner behind him coming a little bit closer. So he gets up on his elbows. They were bleeding Gets up, makes his way up to his knees, and finally on his feet, and he runs another step. And he runs another step. He won the race right across the finish line. 
he said this, I want to win. Friends, when we got that same determination, not running, because I'd fail that, but running the race of life. Remember what the writer of Hebrews said? In chapter 11, we got these great heroes of faith. We call it the Hall of Fame chapter. When you get to verse 1, he says, Seeing that we are encompassed about with such great cloud of witnesses. Well, who would that be? Chapter 11. That we ought to set aside every sin and every weight that doth easily beset us, running with patience or endurance, looking to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. That's priority, brethren. Number five, keep your priorities in order. That'll help you be faithful. Take care of your body. <clears throat> Take care of your body. I'd rather eat a French fry than eating a celery, hadn't you? I know how that's going to work in the end, though. Mm, brethren, I'm going to tell you something. I read on Facebook the other day. A friend of mine, Sparta, he said he smoked for many years of his life. He said, now I'm on uh, oxygen, i got COPD, and I can't go to church like I want to. You know, Galatians 6, verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If a man soweth to the flesh, he shall of the flesh reap corruption. But if a man soweth to the Spirit, he shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Not just smoking. A lot of things in our bodies. We ought to be careful. We ought to take care of our bodies. I started to diet not too long ago. And every time I started to diet, I gained weight. This lady got me on something here, that uh, plexus or something like that. And she said, now you lose weight. But she said, I lost 17 pounds. I said, give me some of that. My daughter said, you've tried everything they've ever come out with. After about a month, I was trying that plexus and I was drinking that. And I said, I've lost uh, zero. I said, I haven't lost any weight. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm taking plexus and I'm eating a cheeseburger. <laughs> she said, you can't do that. So he didn't tell me not to. I'm going to tell you something, friends. We all take care of our bodies. I beg you to. My mother, for years and years and years, I've never smoked a day in my life, so I, I, I know that's a, an addiction that's hard to break. But I can remember my mother as I would beg and I would plead for her to quit smoking. She had a heart attack. Didn't think she's going to make it. COPD, oxygen for the last 10 of years of her life. And every time her grandchildren would come around, she'd say, please don't smoke. Please don't smoke. Let me tell you about a man that I knew that struggled. He was a Christian. Behind the scenes, no one knew it. He didn't think. He was drinking. Started out as a social drink, then no such thing as a social drink. Drink's a drink. Alcohol's alcohol. That's a different argument for a different time that I have. Uh, you know what? I've had more people mad at me because I preached on social drinking in congregation. You wouldn't believe it. It's sad to me, but I mean, you know, that's just the way it is. But this man, no one knew it but me, didn't have any elders. And he said, Jack, would you pray? Would you pray, pray that I'd overcome this drinking habit? And he said, I, I can just watch a commercial on TV. Used to, they put beer and all that stuff on commercial. He said, I can just watch that. And he said, I've got to have one. I want one. Tim, my good friend, 
died a faithful Christian. You know why? Because he prayed daily that he could overcome. Yes, brethren, we need to. You ever heard a preacher preach on gluttony? That's because we're all guilty of it, I guess. I mean, seriously. It's a biblical concept. It's biblical principle that we ought to take care of every part of our body. Whether we eat or drink, we do it to the glory of God. But what are we going to eat and what are we going to drink? Take care of your body. Not only that, I want you to notice, learn to forgive. Have you ever had a problem with forgiveness, harboring ill will? I knew two brothers that I grew up with, members of the church. I wasn't, but they were. And then finally I started going to church with them. I've watched those two boys play football, and they'd actually get in a fist fight. They just could not stand each other. I was amazed when I obeyed the gospel on the very first Sunday morning. They popped in, and I asked somebody if they visited, and they said, no, they're, they're Christians. I watched one, and he would sit over here, and the other one would come in, and he'd figure out where he was at. and He'd get just as far away as he could. And both of them would get up and sing, oh, how I love Jesus. No, you don't. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, our forgiveness is predicated upon uh, our willing to forgive. If you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. If you forgive men not their trespasses, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you. And in Matthew 18, Peter really struggled with this. and He said, Lord, how many times shall we forgive? Seven times? I can just see Peter. He's keeping a checklist. Or seven times. You know what the Lord said? Seventy times seventy. Or 70 times 7. That's 490 times, by the way. You think Peter might have been surprised? What's Jesus talking about? Unlimited. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be ye kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. We all make mistakes. Forgiving one another. You see, Christ has forgiven us in that same verse. There's a lady came to me one time and she took me into one of the rooms after services and she said, uh, there's a clique in our church. And I said, there is? And she said, yeah. She said, these ladies, they will go eat out and they don't ever invite me. I said, well, ma'am, I think that's a ladies' Bible class. Maybe you could go to the ladies' Bible class and get be part of their lives. And she said, I'm struggling. She said, I, I'm not even coming back. Can't you forgive them? Can't you try to do your part in making it better? There's not a person in this assembly that perhaps we've not uh, neglected some person or we didn't do exactly the way we ought to have done. But where's the golden rule in all of this? Matthew 7, 12. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Learn to forgive. If a congregation is going to be what God wants us to be, and if we're going to convince the world to come inside this building, we're going to have to learn to forgive. Aren't you glad in the prodigal son, Luke 15, that God could look at that son and welcome him back? His elder brother had a problem with that, didn't he? Elder brother said, hey, I didn't leave. You gave him a fatty calf, put a ring on his finger, and you threw a party for him. I never did leave. Isn't that kind of selfish attitude? I've known preachers that wouldn't forgive each other. I, I, I have uh, seen congregations split and splinter. I'm not going to tell you where it's at, but it was near and dear to my heart. Man, I just, and before I die, 
I hope those two congregations come back. But you know what's wrong with it? What really hurt me? When those con- that congregation split, my mother and dad said, you've always told us that the churches of Christ were united, that we stood on truth, and said, I told you, you're just like the rest of us. But that was the first thing hurt me. The second thing hurt me, they hate each other. Some of those members, I believe, would come to blows. Brethren, how can we act like that and be the children of God? If somebody sinned against you, the Scripture says in 18, uh, Matthew 18, verse 15, you go to that brother. Don't put it on Facebook. Don't get on the phone and call everyone. I can tell you a true story. I was, uh, my wife and I, with our two children, we went to Atlanta. She worked for Delta Airlines. I was preaching at a large congregation. This lady called the secretary and said she needed to talk to me. I don't usually talk to a lady by myself, so I got the secretary in there, and that was a mistake. But anyway, because she got, everybody knew what was going on before I to tell the elders. She was the daughter of an air traffic controller, good Christian family, and she cried like a baby. She said, I've got something I've got to tell you. She said, I, I did this awful thing. I had contemplated uh, suicide. She said, I am my self-worth, my self-esteem is as low as it's ever been. And she said, I am embarrassed to tell me. And she said, I, I had an abortion. And she said, my, my boyfriend uh, taught me into that. He paid for it. No one knows it but you. And she said, I want forgiveness. I said, you need to go talk to your family. We need to talk to the elders. And you come forward and ask the brethren to forgive you. All, all of that was good. Sunday morning, she came forward. She sat down. We prayed. Our elders prayed for her. And did you know on Sunday afternoon, on Monday afternoon, on Tuesday afternoon, folks were talking about it on the telephone. How could she kill her baby? That's awful. That's terrible. And it is. But where is the forgiveness in all of that? You know what I preached on the next Sunday morning? Gossip. Brethren, Hebrews 10 and 17 says that God will remember their sins no more. The third week she came to me and she said, maybe I need to repent again. Why repent again? God, he's forgot that. Don't even bring it up to God. He doesn't know anything about it. If you repented from the heart, she said, I've got to go somewhere else. They won't forgive me. They won't even speak to me. We need to learn to forgive. Not only that, build strong family relationships. Oh, how important that is. Wives, submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord. Ephesians 5.22 I was preaching at Willette. Someone called me and said, we need to come talk to you, husband, or boyfriend, girlfriend. They said, we want you to marry us. I said, okay, I don't know you. I said, uh, you either one of you been married before. No. And I said, okay, this is what we need to go. We need to do some premarital counseling. And I said, are you willing to submit to your husband? Are you kidding me? You leave that part out of the wedding. Uh, you're not qualified to be married. No, I, I won't do your ceremony. Wives, submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord. That didn't make you a slave. The headship of Christ, the, uh, the husband is under the headship of Christ, and the wife is under the headship of, uh, of the man. And when the man is a spiritual man, when he loves his wife, as Christ loved the church, Ephesians 5, verse 25, Ephesians 5, 23, uh, he and... They, I look at it like an umbrella. They're under the umbrella of Christ together. Learn to 
develop strong relationships. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right, Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Becky and I did a, I called it a radical home improvement because a lot of people need a home improvement. We were in a congregation of, uh, I preached there on Sunday morning, but on Saturday all day long we had classes. We even divided up. My wife would teach the ladies, and I was preaching that day. 220 people there on Sunday morning. You know how many people were in my class on Sunday morning, or on Saturday morning? Five. Five. Do we really want to improve our relationships? My mother and dad were not members of the church, but I had a great deal of respect. I loved my parents. My parents loved me. And they instilled some principles in me that, that were good principles. They wanted me to learn to love and to forgive. And they wanted all of us siblings, there were five of us, to love each other. And she couldn't stand it when there was a problem in our family. Our families are very important. And if this society is going to change, it doesn't necessarily change with the president. It changes with families beginning right here at home. One more, then we'll close. Control your anger. You have a problem with that? Control your anger? Ephesians 4, 26. Be ye kind, tenderhearted, and forgive one another. Verse 32. Then verse 36 says, Be ye angry and sin not. Nothing wrong being angry, just don't sin. Psalm 37, 1 and 2 says, Fret not thyself against evildoers. I was preaching in all good in a gospel meeting about three years ago. These two lanes, evidently I had something else on my mind, but these two lanes came into one, and I evidently cut that man off. We went up here to the red light, and he was so angry. He rolled his window down. He was cursing. He gave all kinds of hand uh, gestures. I mean, it was just insulting. I looked around to see who he's talking to. My wife said, I think he's talking to you. And uh, we pulled up just about another mile, and I said, what if he pulls in the church? She said, well, he needs to. <laughs> he ought to. Fret not thyself against evil. Control your anger. Sometimes, folks, we get mad at home and we say things that we wish we hadn't said, but the damage is already done. Have you ever had a problem with your tongue? I'm like Peter. You speak first and think later. Impetuous Peter. I was told that that words that you use is like, you even get forgiveness for it, is like a toothpaste. I heard this in preaching school. You, you, you squeeze that, that tube and it comes out. You ever try to put it back in there? That's the way tongue, words can do. It can hurt. 